We are in the midst of a series that we began uh, on September 12th, entitled Kingdom Shift, Restoring Right Priorities. And uh, there's a couple of very significant words there that I just want to remind you of. First of all is the word kingdom. When we're talking about kingdom, most of the time because of our perspective here on earth, we're thinking about a kingdom in terms of a geographic realm. It's, it's a realm that is prescribed by a certain geographic area, and when we think about a kingdom, we can think about, you know, there's kingdoms in our world today, and certainly there have been kingdoms back in history. And so we think about kingdom in terms of realm. But when we're talking about kingdom in terms of the kingdom of God, we're not talking about a geographic realm. We're talking about the rule and reign of Christ. We're talking about not simply a realm, but again, a reign, a rule. And the king that we're talking about here in this kingdom is Jesus Christ. As it says, the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord Jesus Christ, and He will reign forever and ever. This kingdom knows no geographic boundary. It knows no historical boundary. It knows no language boundary. It knows no ethnos or ethnic boundary. It crosses every age group and every person and particular uh, geographic realm on earth, the kingdom of God from age to age reigns forever. Forever. Shift. Shift means a couple of things. When you shift something, you are moving it from one place to another. There is a dislodging and a repositioning that happens when there is a shift. There is also, for those of you that drive, there is also, when you are shifting into gear, there is a, a, a change in those gears, and, and because of that change, there is an intensification and an acceleration that happens. Right now, and for the last several years, the Lord has been speaking to us about that kind of shift dislodging us and repositioning us and intensifying and accelerating the sense of His work among us. There is a, there's, a, there's an acceleration of His movement in our lives. There's an acceleration of that dislodging and repositioning. And all of that is for the purpose of bringing us more fully under the reign and rulership of His kingdom. So this shift is not sort of some kind of random thing. It's actually a very purposeful movement of our lives into alignment with God and His purposes, His plans, His perspective, His priorities for our lives. So that's why we're calling it in this year of restoration, restoring right priorities. And so for the last several weeks and for the next several weeks, as we continue with this study, there is a shift going on within our hearts and lives. I don't know if you're feeling it, but I'm certainly feeling it. There's there's something moving in us right now. And we're being brought into proper alignment individually and corporately with Him. Now in our study, we have come to a particular passage here in Mark chapter 12. And so if you have your Bible, would you please pull it out? If you do not have a Bible, I would like to invite you to grab the Bible that's located right in front of you in the seat back. Because it's important for us together to take a look and and get into actually interacting with the text. I like to have that feel. I know some of you have moved and done the shift into the uh, technological age and your 
Bible is located on something you hold in your hand like this. I don't get that for sure, but that's okay. But I, you know, as long as you've got text in front of you, that's, I'm, I'm good with that. I do like the rustle of pages, however. Um, so page 718 in this, uh, seatback Bible, if you would turn there, and we're in Mark 12, chapter 18 to 27. Now, this is all part and a continuation of an ongoing conversation that's happening between Jesus and various religious authorities and crowds. And this conversation has been catalyzed, this conversation has been catalyzed by a particular event. That event took place in Mark chapter 11, beginning in verse 12. When Jesus came and cleared the temple. He came and there was a, um, you know, he found the money changers there. He found all kinds of things going on in the temple courtyards, which were blocking people from experiencing and coming into the temple and and thereby into the presence of God. And Jesus, out of righteous anger, comes and He clears out the temple and that catalyzes an ongoing conversation that is specifically related to the issue of authority. Who's got authority? Who's in charge? Who is in control? And that issue is an issue that is an issue in your life and my life today. Let me ask you this. Who's in authority in your life? Who's in authority in your life? Yes, that is the hopeful answer. God is in authority. We're going to look at that a little bit more closely this morning and invite the Lord to really open up our hearts and ask ourselves even some difficult, challenging questions related to that very issue. All right, let's come to the text. Are you there with me? Mark 12, verse 18. I hope to see lots of you right there, okay? Then the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and have children for his brothers, for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. This is one bride for seven brothers as opposed to seven brides for seven brothers, okay? One bride for seven brothers. The first one married and died without leaving any children. The second one married the widow, but he also died, leaving no child. It was the same with the third. In fact, none of the seven left any children. Last of all, the woman died too. And at the resurrection, whose wife will she be? Since the seven were married to her. Jesus replied, are you not in error? Because you do not know the scriptures of the power of God. When the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. Now about the dead rising, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the account of the bush, how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are badly mistaken. Now this morning, I have a question, and, and I'm going to unpack this passage for us a little bit, but let me just stick this question up here for us. Are you earthbound or heavenbound? Are you earthbound or are you heavenbound? Now there's lots of different, there's some really nice kind of uh, ironies in here and some different things going on in that, even within that question, but I just want you to sit with that question for a moment. Are you earthbound or heavenbound? While you're thinking about that question, let me give you a little bit of context to our passage this morning. First of all, let me introduce you to the Sadducees. Okay, now previously in our, in our passage last week, Jesus was in conversation with the Pharisees and the Herodians. Those were two different uh, groups 
within the Jewish hierarchy. The Pharisees, keepers of the law, the Herodians, sort of a political party. Now we are introduced, actually for the very first time in the Gospel of Mark, to the Sadducees. Now the Sadducees, their primary responsibility had to do with the temple. So they are specifically associated with the um, city of Jerusalem, and specifically the temple. So it's not a surprise that this is the first time that we find the Sadducees interacting here with Jesus. They were wealthy aristocrats. They were the ruling class of Israel. And they primarily made their money off of the temple. Theologically and philosophically, now this is very important for you to get, they were what we would call materialists. What's a materialist? A materialist basically only believes in that which you can see, touch, hear, smell, anything that you can experience with your five senses, that's real. Anything that you can't experience with those five senses is unreal and therefore untrue. And so the Sadducees believed only those things that they could experience with their five senses, particularly money, was real. Everything else was an illusion. So they believed in God. They they did believe at least in the concept of God, but they didn't believe in any other kind of supernatural reality whatsoever, nor did they believe that there was anything After death, there was no life after death. Once you're dead, you're dead, and there's nothing more. And that's all that there is. Now, they come to him with a question. And I love the way they begin. They say, teacher. Now, they didn't really recognize who he was. They're just simply being polite here and giving him a, you know, honorific that uh, just, you know, you've been teaching. So, teacher, and they go on to say, Moses wrote for us. Now, here's one other important thing to know about the Sadducees. The Sadducees only believed in the first five books of the Old Testament. The books that we would call the Torah. The five books that were written by Moses, those were the only authoritative Word of God, everything else in the Old Testament Scriptures they disputed or did not believe in. But they did believe in the five books. And so they're really asking Jesus, what do you think about Moses? And they're going to try to use the Scripture to trip him up. Now, they came to him with a question. Do you think that they were really serious about this question? Was this something that was um, dinner table conversation? Well, have you heard about the lady? I mean, you know, they use this totally, you know, over-the-top story about Leverite marriage, okay, which is, now in, in Jewish law, if you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 25, which I won't go there this morning, but if you go to Deuteronomy 25, you can just reference this in your notes and look it up later, verses 5 to 10, we are given the law about Leverite marriage, which has to do with brother-in-law marrying a um, the, the spouse of a deceased brother. Okay, and this was primarily a protection for those women because if a woman became a widow and had no children, she had no societal standing whatsoever, and her life became very, very perilous. Very vulnerable. Easy to be exploited. And so, the provision was made for if she were to, if she, if her husband were to die, his brother was required to marry her in order to keep the family name, the family inheritance. It was a way of protecting her. But the Sadducees are not really interested in that, are they? They're interested in creating this scenario which is, on the surface, quite ridiculous to us. But the purpose of it is to trip Jesus up and try to twist and turn things around 
to undermine his authority. Now remember, verse 23, here's the irony of it. At the resurrection, well, they don't even believe in resurrection. So this is not even a serious question that they're asking, but again, they're trying to trip Jesus up. So they say, verse 23, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be since the seven were married to her? Now Jesus' reply here, his response is masterful. I, I, I love what Jesus does. I love the way in which he goes actually, he, he doesn't even, you know, he goes right to the heart of the issues. He doesn't, you know, play around with uh, trying to come up with a word game and, you know, this isn't, uh, you know, his, some, some sort of mock trial thing here. He's go, he goes right at the underlying issues that really the Pharisees are wrestling with. Look at what he says. Are you not in error? Do you not err? Aren't you mistaken? Aren't you off track completely? <laughs> because, listen to this, do not the Scriptures power. When the dead, not if, there's no question about it. Jesus doesn't even respond to the you know, issue. He just says, it's a dead rest. They marry nor be marriage. They will be like angels in heaven. In other words, they're going to be, you know, and, and there's much here that we could talk about, and it's outside of what I really feel like the focus should be for this morning. There's much that we could talk here about in terms of, and, and don't please uh, interpret that now as people have sometime in past ages that, uh, well, we're going to be angels. We're all going to be like little cherubic beings sitting on clouds with harps and singing for eternity. That's not what he's talking about. Okay. He's talking about the spiritual aspect of our being. We will be recognizable. We will be known to one another. There will be things for us to do. It's not simply sort of a, you know, some sort of eternal uh, harp fest. Okay? We'll just leave it there. All right. But verse 26. Now, here's, here's where he catches them and um, turns the tables on them very, in a very interesting way. Now about the dead rising. I love this. Have you not read in the book of Moses? Uh, guys, have you, have you possibly read this? You believe in the book of Moses. You believe in only the five, first five books. Well, is it possible? How could it be that you haven't read this? Have you not read in the book of Moses in the account of the bush? Now this would have been immediately understandable to everybody. What are we talking about here? What's the account of the bush? Moses and the burning bush, Exodus chapter 3. Okay? Haven't you read about the account of the bush, how God said to him, Moses, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. I am the God. Not I was. Not even I will be, but I am. Immediately, God is saying right then and there, He can't be the God of somebody who doesn't any longer exist. If Abraham and Isaac and Jacob were simply dust in the ground and there was no eternal spirit within them, God would not have said, I am the God of. He can't be God of something that isn't in existence any longer. Therefore, ipso facto, proved to the Sadducees when God said, I am, that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob still existed. He was in relationship with them. Generations after they'd passed. Physically from this earth. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. You're badly mistaken. <laughs> Do you see this? Do you get it? Moses gave witness to a resurrection. Sadducees, don't you see? Don't you know? How about you and me? Are you earthbound or are you heavenbound? 
I would contend that many of us kind of go back and forth. (laughs) And sometimes, even like the Sadducees, who kind of believe in God and we, you know, functionally, we can function as materialists. We can function as if only the things that I can see, touch, hear, smell, feel, all, all, you know, all of those things, taste, anything that, that fits within the five senses, that's real. Anything else is unreal. We live our lives as functional materialists. It was prayed about this morning. Right here in the pre-service prayer. The concern was the disconnect between what happens and is going on here and what goes on in the rest of the days of our week. Because here, we can say, How great is our God. And then Monday morning, work comes. We forgot all about that song. And we're right back in the midst of it. And we're functionally operating as materialists. This is my concern today. I think it's the heart of God's concern today for us. Oswald Chambers uh, wrote, he was a great great guy, wrote some fabulous stuff. He said, no, nowadays people have gotten tired of the preaching about a future heaven and they've gone to the other extreme and deal only with what is called the practical. Consequently, they rob themselves of the unfathomable joy of knowing that everything God has said will come to pass. You've heard the phrase, don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. Well, let's turn that upside down on its head and say, you can be so earthly minded that you are no heavenly or earthly good. We need to get our eyes up higher. And to begin to have a shift in us from an earthbound to a heavenbound perspective. Let's, I'm gonna unpack this very quickly. Four different things that I wanna, four four different implications of this that I wanna talk about here this morning and then we'll be done. Alright, so four four implications. First of all, in an earthbound mindset. In an earthbound mindset, our focus is on our earthly plans. You all know this parable. I've preached on it more than once. You've probably heard it at one time or another. Maybe if you haven't, listen carefully. If you have, listen even more carefully. He told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop, and he thought to himself, what I do? I've got no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns, build bigger ones. And there I'll store all my grain and all my goods, and I'll say to myself, You've got plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, You fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then you will get what you have prepared for yourself. Who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God. Ouch! But this is the earthly plans. What can I do with what I've got? I'm going to make more. I'm going to build bigger barns. I'll get a bigger check. I'll get a bigger house. I'll get a bigger car. I'll get a bigger... Well, guess what? There's going to come a day when all of that is not going to matter much anymore, is it? As they say, there aren't any hearses pulling a U-Haul. Anybody seen a hearse going down the road with a U-Haul? The whole earthbound mindset is that of instant self-centered gratification. That's what it's about. What's in it for me? How can I do this for me? It's all about me. It's all about me, me. Heaven-bound mindset. There's heavenly plans. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 
Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Heidi, come on up if you would. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. In a heavenly mindset, instead of instant self-centered gratification, there is a progressive God-centered gratification which recognizes that my life and all that is in it, and my tree all belongs to Him. I'm a steward of it, and I can freely open my hands, give it back to Him, and recognize that everything that I give and do for Him will last. As opposed to all that I do for myself. Now, a few weeks ago, Heidi, in fact, was very interesting. Um, Heidi had sent into us, and by the way, you're welcome to do this. Uh, this is how some of these, you wonder, well, how do these people come up here and stand and share and things like that? Well, they send us a testimony by email or voicemail or, or let us know of some things that are going on. And, and just the very Sunday afternoon, I, I got your email Monday morning. I, you had sent it Sunday, but I didn't get it till Monday of the day that the church had been broken into and our offering had been stolen. And I thought, huh, wasn't that interesting timing? Um, But Heidi had gotten a dream from the Lord and a specific interpretation related to that and just has a testimony to share with us. And and the full dream and interpretation is back. There's books here and in the prayer room, kind of prophetic books that that tell us some of the things that God has been speaking uh, this Full, full piece of this is back there. And Heidi, just share with us what the Lord spoke to you. And yeah, that'd be really timely. Thanks. Uh, my name is Heidi. And um, as many of you may know, my husband and I have kind of experienced a, a trying last couple of years, um, which to us has, has felt like a lot of lack or paucity, if you will. Um word from about a month ago. Um, and, you know, we were very blessed and the Lord has provided. I, you know, I just want to say that first. Um, but, you know, it doesn't always feel that way. And we have felt um, a lack of finances, a lack of um, community, a lack of um, a home for our family. And biggest um, in, on our hearts is a lack of a ministry that the Lord changed for us about a year and a half ago um that clearly is still very much we still we still very much feel that on a on a regular basis um so that said um in this season you know encouragement is up and down and half the time we're full of faith and hope and we're so excited about what god is going to do and how he's going to restore us in all these ways and the other half the time we are not encouraged and very discouraged and um yeah, just having a hard time. So about a month ago, I was having a particularly discouraging evening, um, you know, wallowing in self-pity to some extent, I'm sure. And I think I actually cried myself to sleep that night, um, which isn't, you know, a common occurrence. But um, I get a lot of dreams now that I'm pregnant, but they don't, they're kind of crazy. Um, but that night, I got a dream that uh, was very clearly from the Lord. And Um, in the dream, Tim and I had just gone to a local farm and picked up a whole big load of fresh food, and we were dropping it off at someone's home, um, storing it in their root cellar, whatever that is. And um, we put all the food in there, and it was filled up, and our plan was to come back every week and get another load of food um, until it ran out. Well, after a couple of trips back to get more food, we started to notice that um, the food never diminished. Um, every time we were back, the red cellar was, was restored to its, to its fullness. Um, and there was food in there all winter long. I don't know if a red cellar can do that all winter long. I'm a city kid, but um, all winter, the food never ran out, and it was full and fresh and abundant. And I woke up and 
it's like, okay, that's really, that's really encouraging. The Lord multiplies, and we didn't even ask for that, and there was plenty of food to share and to give away. Cool. Um, and I kind of felt a nudge to just pray into that to see to see what else God had for that in what, what else God had for us in that dream. And um, I, as I as I prayed about it, I really felt that um, there was a powerful word in there both for Tim and I, um, but also for BCF. Um, obviously, this is a year of restoration, and when Pastor Jim revealed that almost a year ago, um, you know, our first thought was, amen, hallelujah, we receive it, we are ready, we are ready to be restored in every way, we're ready for Tim to get a job again, we're ready to not live with my parents anymore, we're ready for all this stuff, we're ready for, for not even a new dream for a ministry, but we're ready for God to restore healing in our hearts because of that loss. Um, but as I, as I pressed into that, and this is the revelatory part that that I just pray that you don't miss. Um, the Lord showed me that his, his idea of restoration is far different than our idea of restoration. And when I thought about the things that, that I wanted God to restore, it was maybe three or four things that we already had had, that a year ago we possessed, that a year ago were ours. But when God thinks about restoration, it's not about restoring what you used to have, and it's not about restoring those things in the way that you used to have them, it's about restoring unto you, unto the church, every single one of his promises from his word. And I just read this in a book the other day, but there are more than 3,000 covenant promises in the word of God that he offers us as his children. And that just brought that home, that that's his idea of restoration. It's restoring each and every one of those 3,000 promises for each of us. And I'm really big into the covenant names of the Lord and covenant promises in, in, the, in those names. And, you know, just a few of them, Jehovah Rapha, the restoration of healing in our bodies, the restoration of healing in our hearts. Um, Jehovah Jireh, the restoration of provision. And I got to tell you, it's probably not going to come in the way that you think it will. It's probably going to look very different. And you may experience a loss as you receive what God has, but it doesn't look like you wanted it to look, but it's going to be enough, and it's going to be so much more than it would be if you had picked, if you had put in your order and said, this is what I want, and this is how I want it to look. Um, so I just want to, I hope that you're encouraged in that, and I, I, I think that there is power in a testimony where someone's not just standing up here and saying, I've got the victory, I've persevered for two years, and I've got the victory. Sometimes you sit in the pew and you're like, well, I've been persevering for two years and I don't have the victory. Like, what's the difference between me and them? Um, and I'm here to say I do have the victory. It hasn't manifested itself completely yet, but we are definitely seeing seeds of restoration as the Lord begins to put things back into place. And they look nothing like we anticipated that they would. And he's not finished. Praise God, he's not finished. Um, so be encouraged that you may have experienced great loss, um, most of you, many of you have, I know. It's been a rough couple of years. Um, and you may have been persevering for two years, ten years. I don't know how many. Um, but hang in there because this is a year of restoration. And we still have more, over two months to receive that. And it doesn't end on January 1st. And we have a new theme, restoration does not end. So, um, yeah, I just pray that you could receive it into your hearts and Broaden your scope, shift your scope, that it would be bigger, and just believe God for huge things because that He wants He wants to restore everything to you. Everything. Wow. Well, I'm encouraged. I hope you are too. Hmm. Talk about a couple more. Um shifts here that the Lord wants to do in terms of our mindsets. In an earthbound mindset, we have an earthly-based relationship with people. And what I'm talking about here, and I think it's implicit in the Sadducees and their, even their perspective here as we see it within this text. Um, I mean, even, and, and you see it frequently, um, culturally, within the context here. Um, the woman here is primarily seen as a um, 
sort of a progenitor of, of, of children. Um, and that's her, her primary purpose here, and she hasn't produced any children. And so um, there's sort of a, a, a subtle but very significant devaluation of who she is as a person. And of course, the larger context of the Roman Empire is, is that there's enormous numbers of slaves who are considered simply living tools. There's an enormous devaluation of people. And guess what? We see that today in our world all around us. We see people being devalued constantly. And in an earthly mindset, when people are devalued, they simply have to do with what that person can do for me, how they meet my needs. They become tools in our hands. I don't know about you, but I'm devastated when I hear about this woman and her two children who were just killed by her husband. I mean, the level of brokenness and devastation within that family is is simply uh, beyond words. And as a church and as a people, as believers in Christ, it is our obligation and responsibility to come alongside and stand with those who are powerless and exploited and vulnerable. There is no excuse for or room for a physical, emotional, verbal abuse in homes. There's no, there's no way of excusing that. There simply isn't. And as a church, we would say to any woman or man who was in the midst of experiencing such kind of a, 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 a situation that feels outside of your control, if you come to us with the gift of your need, we will stand with you. We will stand with you. We have in the past and we will. Because we believe in the value of every human being. That no human being deserves to be ridiculed or to be wounded or hurt. A couple of weeks ago we were praying, or maybe it was just last Sunday, I think we were praying for our country and praying for the wounds on our country. And um, one of the prayers that came forth was for the hatred that the churches often portrayed to those who are struggling with homosexuality. That hatred is not okay. That hatred is not okay. That's an earthbound mentality that devalues people may be struggling and have been struggling for many years with the pain of that and the brokenness of, of, of being uh, experiencing uh, the, the pain and the, and the shame that comes from that particular kind of struggle. And we as a congregation and as a leadership here, we will stand and have stood and will stand with those who are struggling. Recognizing that God loves all of us too much to leave us the way we are. But God does not hate homosexuals. He loves them desperately. Just like He loves you and me and all of our stuff. All of our issues. All of our brokenness. All of our sinfulness. All of our pain. So to those of you may be struggling with whatever those issues are, whatever the, 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 the particular things, you know, God, it, it, you know, um, if you haven't yet come to Christ and received Jesus into your life, I want to tell you right now that God loves you. He's not mad at you, and neither are we. And we welcome you into the midst of this community to, to hear and to begin to discover about a God who does love you. 
But if you somehow got the impression that you're discounted or devalued because you haven't entered in yet, I just want you to know that God loves you and he longs for you to enter and we love you and we would love to take you by the hand and walk you in, but we're going to love you either way because God loves you either way because his heart is for you, not against you. He longs for you. He weeps for you. Is this making you catching this? I want you to catch the heart of this because this is significant and important of shifting from an earthbound to a heavenbound mentality. People around you are not tools, they're not targets, they're not, they're not, we cannot devalue one another. Your economic situation, your language situation. Many in this room have come here as refugees, hurting, wounded, needy. We want to say to you, we need you because we're wounded, hurting, and needy too. We need you as much as you need us. We need you. We need the gifts and graces that you bring to the table. You are valuable! Whether you speak English or don't speak English, whether you're educated or uneducated, whether you're rich or poor, it doesn't matter. You are valuable in the eyes of God. Here's what can happen when we devalue people. You know the story. It's coming up in later chapters of our study here of Mark. But this is the Matthew passage on this. One of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, what are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? So they counted out for him 30 silver coins, and from then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Judas used Jesus as a gravy train, a way to make money. He was the... You know, he was probably the accountant in the group or whatever he was. He was the keeper of the purse, it says in other places. So he was kind of the guy who was in charge of the funds. And here was a way to increase the funds, not just for the group, but for himself, viewing Jesus, devaluing him. In an earthly mindset, we devalue people in relationships. How tragic. But in a heavenly mindset, I want you to get this, what Jesus does here. It's very interesting. Same passage, when evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve, and while they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. And they were very sad and began to say to him, one after the other, surely not I, Lord. And Jesus replied, the one who has dipped his hand in the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go, just as it is written about him, but woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. And then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, surely not I, Rabbi. And Jesus answered, yes, it is you. But here's what I want you to understand in the elevating of of, of the value of people in relationships. I want you to understand this. Please understand this. Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him, but Jesus still washed his feet, and Jesus still shared dinner with him, and Jesus still held out his hand. And I believe when he said, woe to that one, he wasn't saying it with an angry, you know, woe to the one who, he was saying, woe to the one who does this. There's still time. You don't have to do this. The heart of Jesus always holds out his hand. To love. We need to change, then elevate our conversation with one another. There is way too much, and it has seeped into the church. Devaluing people. Because God loves people. God loves Democrats and Republicans and Independents. He loves country folk and city folk. All right? You all right? Everybody okay? Did that get a little heavy? That got a little heavy. That's all right. 
but it's, I, all I can tell you is I feel the weight of it on my own soul. And as your pastor, loves you. Just feel the weight of this. We just pause here for a moment. Jesus, we just want to ask you to forgive us for when we have devalued people in relationships. Lord, and where your church has devalued people in relationships. Lord, have mercy on us. Lord, we just pray that you would grant us grace to love in the way that you love. We get glimpses of it, but God, we need more of it. We pray that you will do a kingdom shift deep in our spirit, O God, and give us a heaven-bound mindset that transforms, Lord, the way we relate to one another. And the way we relate to one another and to those outside of these four walls. Help us, Jesus. We can't do this without you. Change us, God. Change us, God. Help us, Jesus. All right. Two more. Earthly priorities. We're going to talk about this a lot more. In fact... Starting in mid-November, we're going to start a new series that will take us through Christmas. It's called Putting God in His Place. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay His head. And He said to another man, Follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Now there's a whole sermon in here that I'm not going to take time to preach, but let me just highlight the words that I think are of significance here for you and I this morning. And that is the words, but first let me. God, I'll do these things, but first let me. It's the but first let me's. Not that the things that they wanted to do even were illegitimate or wrong. In fact, they were very culturally appropriate. But it was leading with that foot of, but first let me. Jesus, you can be Lord of my life, but first let me. Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you take me, but first let me. But first let me puts us right back into the center of our priorities. We're at the center of our priorities, but in a heaven-bound mindset, and this is where God wants to take us in terms of our heavenly priorities, and this came up in prayer this morning as well, Galatians 2.20, Powerful. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I want you to get this. This is a a highly counterintuitive verse for us. Because in it, seven times, Paul says, I... So he's not talking about the annihilation of himself. When we're talking about this and having heavenly priorities, it doesn't mean the annihilation of ourself. We still exist. But the fact of the matter is that existence has been transformed because it is not us who is any longer at the center of that life, but God, Christ, is now at the center of that life. And that's why Paul says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And with that transformation, everything that I do... Whatever I do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him, so my work is transformed, my studies are transformed, my relationships are transformed. Um, Everything that I do in my life becomes transformed because everything that I'm doing now is centered in God rather than in myself. He is at the center of my priorities, right where He wants to be. Now we're going to be taking this and going into this in much greater fullness and we're going to be looking at numbers of areas when we start our series in a few weeks on putting God in His place. 
So I'll just leave it there for now. All right? Earthbound mindset, an earthly perspective. Here's the earthly perspective that we have. As for us, we were dead in our transgressions and sins in which we used to live when we followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Remember, at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. Our perspective before we come to Christ is completely earthbound. It all is about, you know, our, our cravings of our sinful nature, following its desires and thoughts. It's all about us and what we can get. It's all around the priority is to do with these temporal pleasures. And they wouldn't be called pleasures if they weren't pleasurable. But they're temporary. We're simply living for now. We're living for now. Without hope. Peter Kreft, writing about hope, says this. This is really good. Listen. Hope is the forgotten virtue in our time. For hope means hope for heaven. And modernity's nose to the grindstone, this worldliness, dares not lift its eyes to the open skies. Hope means that our heads do not bump up against the low ceiling of this world. Hope means that the exhilarating, wonderful, and terrifying winds of heaven blow in our ears. I hope has been terribly trivialized today, just as I believe has. I believe often means I'm of the opinion, and I hope often means I merely I wish or I would like it if. However, Christian hope is certain in the sure and certain hope of the resurrection. God's promises will come true. There is no if and or but about it. For God is truth itself. And this is the very thing that Heidi was encouraging us with. The covenantal promises of God that are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. And so a heaven-bound mindset has a heavenly perspective. By faith, Abraham, and we sang this, thank you Dave, leading in with a new song right into the message this morning, right about, right taken out of this very scripture. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place, he would later receive his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age, and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful, who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All of these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them and for us. And this heavenly perspective lives for both now and then. Realizing we're not home yet. This isn't the rest. This isn't the end of the story. There is a rest of the story that takes place beyond our earthly body's death. So my question to you this morning, my question for my own heart this morning, is this, the very questions that Jesus asked the Sadducees, do you know the Scriptures? Do you know the power of God? Are you functioning as a materialist? Or are you allowing the living Word of God to penetrate your life and bring transformation? Paul says the gospel is the power of God. 
unto life. Not just life here, but life everlasting. Final scripture. Worship team, please come on up. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in Him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Can I encourage you this morning, people of God at Bethel Christian Fellowship and all who might hear this message, may I encourage you this morning into a kingdom shift from an earthbound to a heavenbound mentality to allow the very Scripture, the living eternal Word of God and the power of the Spirit to begin to transform your mindset in terms of your plans, in terms of how you interact with people, in terms of your priorities, in terms of your perspective. God wants to mess with your life because He loves you. And He wants to change you and He wants to change me. And He wants to change us. This congregation, this little congregation here in the midst of this big city, in the midst of this big world. But God doesn't look at us through the lenses the world looks. He looks down and says, all right, here's a people who want to pursue my heart. I'll be with them. Here's a people who want to submit to my will and surrender their lives to me. I'll be with them. Here's a people who are willing to take risks and step out. Here's a will people who are willing to embrace me even when they can't see the way forward. They're going to hang on to my arm as I lead them. There's a people who are willing to stand for justice. For those who are exploited and oppressed, wounded, powerless. Maybe the Lord's just, I don't know what He's doing in your heart today. I can't I don't have the ability to look into your heart today. But I, I can't help but believe that the Spirit of God is working in you right now. And I feel in my, my own heart today. And if, if God's just speaking to you and you're recognizing you've had an earthbound mindset, but there's a heavenbound mindset that he's, he's bringing. And He wants to bring into your life this morning. And, and you're just recognizing that you you need to change some of your plans or the way you're relating to people or your priorities, your perspectives. Would you just say yes, please? Would you join me and say yes, God? I'm willing. I don't even know what it all means, but I'm willing. Yes, God, I want to change. I want to be transformed. I want to be more into your image, oh God. Please help me, God. Please help us, Jesus. Help us, Lord. We look around us and we see so much. I'm going to come back to the people thing for a moment. We see so much. We see people at odds with one another because of the color of skin, the background of which they have come or where they live, or what kind of work they do, or 
what their political affiliation is, or all of those things. The gender issues we've talked about, all of those things, God wants to address in our hearts today.